You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to episode 239 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. We are brought to you today by GameMat.eu for pre-painted resin terrain, neoprene mats, STL files, all that stuff. Event 10 is 10% off your order there. Then we also have Panhandle3D.com with uh, PH3D 15 off at 15% off your order. And they get free shipping over $85. They do uh, 3D printed terrain and all sorts of customized mugs, tumblers, dice trays, all that sort of stuff. Combat gauges. So go check them out. And then, of course, oh, my God, how could I forget? I didn't forget. You guys are all very close to my heart. Patreon members. Oh, my God, you guys. Like, for real smooches uh patreon members support the show and keep the lights on otherwise i would be recording in the dark and do you know how hard it is to record in the sound doesn't travel the same when the light's not on what are we talking about today we have the real talk with did you ever know why scale creep happens do you truly know why the business side of that and um is it a good idea is it short-sighted i don't know why don't you listen to that segment and then we also have the Gondor Settlement. Oh my god, beautiful set, terrain from Games Workshop, but it takes a dark twist. So we uh, we, we cover that. Then we have a, a letter from Glenn, and he asks me, how dare you, and then also, why dare you? And that's that's the intro to his letter. What have I been up to? Well, the last week I've been uh, feverishly... Um, getting the website ready for Shorehammer. Brutality and Shorehammer, I already said, was um, the old software that I, I had had that made on is now defunct, so I had to remake both of them from scratch. I think the Shorehammer page and Brutality page came out very nicely, and um, it cost a lot of money, but whatever, and now tickets are on sale for Shorehammer. So uh, I, gotta do, I do have to warn you, though, the narratives are filling up very quick. The narratives have more people signed up than any of my tournaments and that's like saying something so um i would definitely say you should go ahead and buy your tickets sooner than later because uh stuff is filling up and to the point where i'm actually debating on expanding some of the narratives include more than 24 people because they are one of the most popular things that we do at Shorehammer. and now it's almost like a, po a, a point of like okay well how do i fit them into the schedule if i were to make like a third narrative or something like that um, now, Age of Sigmar narrative always fills up, but there's not much overflow. Like, 24 people I can have, 24 people I get, basically. But uh, 40k, there's always a waiting list for the narrative. It's a huge deal. So I'm going to try and see if I can't either expand the number of people allowed or do, like, another event. We already have our Thursday Strike Force game, which is small points. And then we have our regular game on uh, Friday. So I'm going to see if I can't fit something else in. I don't know. But narratives are uh, definitely where it's at for me. Anyway, um, what else have I been up to? That's about it, honestly. You know what game I dusted off? And I know this is not Warhammer related. But you know what game I dusted off? Haven't played it in, man, 20-some years, literally. I was a teenager. I was probably 20 years younger than now when I was uh, first playing this game, Morrowind, the Elder Scrolls 3 Morrowind for PC. I um, downloaded a bunch of mods that will increase, you know, everything. They randomize the items and they they balance things and all that. And I'm playing a Thief Khajiit 
And um, which I didn't know was like the optimal build. Apparently, everyone's like, "Oh, of course you're a, a thief, Khajiit." But I'd never played a thief before. I'd never played a Khajiit before, and I was like, "Oh, you know what? I usually play an Argonian." Uh, back then, I used to play an orc. I I like the non-human characters, so I'm like, you know what? When I played Skyrim, I was a uh, high elf or something like that. So I was like, you know what? I'll be a Khajiit. My wife was always a Khajiit. I was never a Khajiit, which is the cat people. In case you haven't played that game. And um, so my daughters and I are um, going around being uh, murder hobos, essentially. No, my character is a thief, but he's also a serial killer. So I go into each town and I murder people and loot them and I sell their stuff off. I've joined the Thieves Guild. I've joined another guild that will allow me to sell stolen stuff. And um, I leave town shortly after. I stay in town for like a day or two, kill a couple people, steal stuff, and then flee. And that way, no one narratively will ever catch me because I'm just a passer through and they're never going to connect the dots. So uh, my my daughters have enjoyed watching me uh, do that. <laughs> and um, what else? But we do we you know, we are not we do not deal with slavery. OK, we are not slavers. We draw the line there. We might be murderers and thieves, but we're not slavers. We do uh, free slaves because slaves are usually Khajiits anyway. And we have like a soft spot for Khajiits. So. Anytime there's someone that we're going to rob and murder and it's a Khajiit, I'm like, you know what? Nah, I'm not going to bother them. And uh, we have solidarity with other Khajiits. And then we have, of course, free slaves when we see them. So that is where we draw the line. We're not total monsters, okay? And uh, also another thing with these new mods allow you to have one follower. So uh, the first guy I ran into is a bare-fisted guy. He wears a robe called Lacret. And um, uh, my daughter's like Lacret because he's a... Uh, He's got some weird quirks, and I don't know if this is programmed in him or if it's just random, but he snorts a lot. Like, we're, I'm actually role-playing, right? So I talk to these people as if they're here, and my, my girls really like that because it seems more real. And we meet this person, and there's, like, this covert thing I'm doing for the Thieves' Guild, and I'm trying to convince this guy to join the Thieves' Guild again because he's, like, really good at sneaking or whatever. And um, in the meantime, Lacret's behind me snorting. He's like clearing his throat the whole time and snorting. So we say that Lacret's got allergies. And <laughs> anyway, that's probably enough side banter. Um, I've been enjoying playing that and um, I need to start working on the new brutality supplement. And um, I got some work done on it, but it's going to be pretty expansive. So uh, remember, Brutal Space is out. If you want to do any uh, spaceship and uh, ground battles that affect each other in, in real time. That's pretty fun. I played some with Josh this week. That's what we did at the club. And um, he played a demo of Brutal Space, and uh, he really liked it. So he's gonna buy a bunch of Star Wars. Uh, um, um, what's the what's the game? Battlefront, not Battlefront. The the Star Wars Legion. Star Wars Legion models, and so did I. We're both both split a starter box with our friend TJ and whatnot. And um, we uh, I want some rebels and some stormtroopers. He wants some rebels and some stormtroopers. So we split the box and. Uh, now we're going to be able to have Star Wars. Now, I prefer to do it in the universe of Brutal Space, but, um, and of course, Star Wars can be in Brutal Space. It's just like Brutality. But uh, the people, uh, Josh really is a Star Wars fan, so he wanted to do Star Wars themed, which is totally fine. So I'm buying Star Wars ships and people, and we're going to have fun with it. And if any of you were wondering if the guy from last week got his comeuppance for completely wiping out my 11-year-old teammate in essentially the first turn, finished him off in the second term, turn, but uh, got Angron and threw him right in the 11-year-old's face and destroyed almost all of his models in the first turn. Um, our buddy Nick, which is, um, he's, uh, to call him a, a competitive player is like, 
uh, not accurate. I mean, he does play competitively, but he's like our other friend, Andrew. Uh, he can tone it down. If you're just playing casual, he'll just tone it down and play casual. But him and Andrew enjoy the competitive, you know, thing. Not not cheesy per se, just the you know, reading the rule, learning your list, blah, blah, blah. So when I say competitive, that's not it's not the normal competitive way I mean. But if you're gonna play against someone like this character that destroyed that eleven year old last week, then you do want someone that knows the rules well, can make a good list that's synergistic and you know is really gonna try. So uh, Nick brought Honor back to our dojo this week, and um, he beat that other guy pretty soundly. I mean, it sounds, from the description they gave me, it sounded like a pretty good battle, but um, but he basically just avoided Angron at all costs and then took out everything else, and he won by a pretty wide margin. I forget, I forget exactly how many points it was, but it was a pretty darn decent margin that he won by, so... Um, that was, uh, that was, you know, honor back. We got the flag back at our dojo now. And, um, so Nick, the Pemcron Warhammer podcast, thanks you for your service. <laughs> the last thing on the docket is to discuss the Easter egg hunt that we had with our Patreon patrons this weekend. It was great fun. Um, we were all supposed to make 10 eggs, fill them with candy, all of that. And we had it once again at Nate's emu farm. So if you'll know anything about emus, they're like six feet tall birds, similar to an ostrich, and they have giant eggs. Well, as usual, I, I don't want to hate on my Patreon patrons, but they don't follow directions very well. So we all met at Nate's emu farm, and uh, we said to stuff the eggs with candy, we we're going to have a nice Easter egg hunt, we we're going to have a barbecue, all sort of things. So um, everybody gets here. They arrive. I mean, Grendel's from across the country, um, and and uh, Mike came over from England. Uh, Kojo came up from north. So did uh, Leroy Jenkins. I mean, we had everybody just come to Nate's place in Maryland. So um, we we go to Nate's place, and I'm seeing all these gigantic freaking eggs, like real emu eggs. They're they're massive. And they got duct tape on them. And I'm like, hey, uh, you got eggs across your yard, Nate. What's the deal with that? And he's like, oh, well, you told me to stuff the eggs with candy. And I'm like, you mean you stuffed the, the real eggs with candy? And he's like, well, yeah. What, what else other eggs would I use? I've got an emu farm. And I'm like, but so you legitimately like shoved candy bars and stuff in real eggs and taped them up. He's like, yep. I'm like, all right, I guess that's fine. Then Kojo arrived, dressed as the Easter Bunny. It took us a while to figure out who he was. He made us ask him 20 questions to find out which one of the Patreon patrons he was. For a moment there, we thought he might just be a random stranger that wandered onto Nate's farm. But eventually it was Kojo. So he handed out candy. He hit him in the bushes and all that for the Easter egg thing. It was, it was a little odd, but it was fine. And then Leroy Jenkins decided that he wanted to sit on the Easter Bunny's lap and tell him what he wanted for Easter which I don't know what they do up north there, but that's just, I'd never seen that before. So uh, so he had, uh, Kojo had to ask him, hey, what, what do you want for Easter this year, kids? <laughs> and then Leroy sat on his lap and told him. The leader of the Patreon people, Mike from England, he actually brought candied eggs. So he hard-boiled eggs. And when I said put candy in the eggs, I don't know what they do in England. So I, I guess this is an English thing. He took hard-boiled eggs and candied them like you would candy an apple. So some of them were coated in caramel. I mean, over the shell. And some of them were the candy apple candy. And um, I didn't want to say anything to him personally because I felt bad. Because Maybe there was a cultural issue. 
But um, I kind of licked one of the eggs a little bit, and I was like, mmm, good, Mike. And then I, I threw them away when I got home because I'm just like, I'm not eating a hard-boiled egg. And what am I supposed to eat? The candy off the shell? How do I even not eat this? I don't know. I don't know. It's a, I guess it's a British thing. Grendel did actually manage to bring real candy. We hid them in the yard. That was all good. But uh, he had his his wife paint his face like an Easter bunny, and Kojo was giving him glares the whole time because I guess he was stealing his thunder, kind of. But he wasn't dressed like an Easter bunny. Grendel just looked normal, T-shirt, pants, all that, and he just had the white face paint and the bunny ears. Um, and awkwardly enough, then Chris arrives. Chris also is dressed in white face paint, and they, Kojo was very cold to them the whole time. When Mitch arrived, now he's the newest Patreon member to join the group. So we all know each other really well. You know, we've done these things several times a year and get together. Mitch was new. He was very shy. He had diligently read all of my stuff. I mean, he actually had it printed out. And then he had a spare copy actually written on his hand. Apparently, he shoved his hand in the printer, let it print on his palm. So he desperately did not want to mess this up because he wanted to be included in our group. So, um, and I appreciate it. He was the only one that followed all of the instructions about he brought exactly 10 eggs. They were filled with candy and they were not real eggs. They were not candy covered. They were not whatever. They weren't emu eggs shoved with candy. He actually followed all the uh, protocols. So um, he also... At some point, I guess to fit in, he did sit on Coach's lap and tell him what he wanted in his Easter basket this year, and that was nice. So Mitch was a very nice addition. Now, something weird happened with Fergie and LT the whole time. Um, LT now goes by Fraud Fishy Hates Everything. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means, LT. So now they go by Fraud Fishy Hates Everything. And I think they might be going through a phase because Ferguson, or Fer I'm sorry, Fergie, Fergie, and L oh, man, these all these names are confusing me. Fraud Fishy hates everything. We're just going to call him Fishy. Fishy and Fergie both came dressed like greasers, okay, from the 50s. They had their hair slicked back. They had their black uh, leather jackets. They had their cigarettes rolled up in their, their uh, shirt sleeve, and they had blue jeans with the cuffs rolled up. I don't know. I don't know what is going on there. I didn't ask them. They seemed like they really wanted us to ask. They kept running a comb through their greased hair, and I, I don't know. They didn't bring any eggs whatsoever, and I'm wondering if, like, some part of my email they didn't understand, or or maybe it's just, it's not a phase, Mom. Anyway, they smoked cigarettes and uh, played craps behind the barn the whole time. They didn't even participate in the egg hunt. Mandy and Brendan um, were actually not allowed to enter Nate's property um, ever since the emu heist that they pulled last time. So uh, Nate, uh, actually Mandy did arrive and Nate was like, no. And he was, Nate saddled up on one of his emus that he rides like a horse. And um, that made, it's, he's a little more intimidating that way. And Nate's like, no, off my property or I'm calling the cops. And uh, he said something about dishing out emu justice, which I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know what that is. But um, Brendan was the same way. Brendan got the same boot. They weren't allowed. To, so they did watch us the whole time. They were on the other side of the fence and they were just able to watch. And I'm not sure because they were a little far away. I spoke to them a little bit, but from a distance, I swear I could see a single tear rolling down Brendan's cheek, just glistening in the sun. I'm not positive. Don't quote me on it. But uh, they were not allowed in. 
And to cap it all off, Juicy Jim did a rousing rendition of, of All I Want for Easter is You. And uh, he he sang that on top of the table after the Easter egg hunt. And um, we all had to pretend to enjoy the the odd things that they hid for Easter eggs. But, um, but, but Juicy did a fantastic rendition of that. And that was our Easter get together. So as always, I love you all flaws and all Easter outfits and, you know, emu rustling and all that. Just, I love you all. Thank you for supporting the show. Let's get on with the rest of it. Everyone who's not a Patreon patron at this point has probably clicked out of the podcast. (laughs) What is this shit he's talking about? I have no idea. So anyway, let's get on with the rest of the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. This, of course, is the Tesseract mailbox. You just heard it in the intro. And uh, this is an email from Glenn at pimpcron at gmail.com. And you can also find me at facebook.com slash pimpcron or on Instagram at pimcron with one P TV. And uh, this is a letter from Glenn. Let's see what he says. Hello. Quick question. How dare you? And also, why dare you? (laughs) I just tuned into your mystery guest episode from months ago. And in parentheses, he writes, getting caught up from my busy work schedule. And I don't think I've laughed that hard at an episode for your show. Of your show. Sorry. Episode of your show. Bravo. So how much are the feet pics, though? Um... (laughs) Um, I guess I should say something else, assuming that you read this on the air. Let me think. Uh, I'm excited to dive back into 40k with 10th. I haven't played since a few months after 9th hit. I just wasn't feeling it, and a new baby made things worse, but I like a lot of the changes they seem to be suggesting, so they got me, I guess. Okay, back to work. Nice talk, Glenn. So, thank you for writing in, Glenn. I appreciate that you liked my mystery guest episode, and uh, for any of you that did not listen to that, um, it's one of my favorite episodes I've done, so you should check that out. And um, what else? Oh, he also said uh, 10th edition. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty cautiously opti- optimistic about 10th edition. I'm hoping that they do streamline things, and um, I just hope they don't go too far. Games Workshop, as I've said before, has a terrible track record with balance. They go... Oh my god, everything's so bad. Uh go go hard right, hard right. And they they do like a a wheelie and they they skid sideways to the right and they go off the road and then they like jump a hill and they do a flip and they catch on fire and everything's crazy and they're like, "Oh dear god, we got to go left, left, left. We went right too far." And then they turn back onto the road. And they skid all the way across the road to the left side, and they go off the embankment. They go off a cliff. They're tumbling down the hill. They're running to, like, cactuses and stuff. I don't know where they're driving. And then uh, they're still on fire, though. It's like a trail of smoke and fire. And they're like, oh, dear God, we went too far. Right, right. And then they're inevitably going to drive back up the hill across the highway and go off the other embankment. That is the history, in a nutshell, of Games Workshop and their balance. So they never, they have never... I mean, extremely briefly been able to, maybe the beginning of 8th edition. The beginning of 8th edition, when everyone had the the uh, the index armies, they were on the pavement for that brief time. And once they got a couple new codexes under their belt, they were already in the ditch. <laughs> it's like, they just, they just don't know balance. And, uh, you know, bless their heart, right? 
So, um, yeah, I am excited for this new edition, hopefully because everything will be pseudo on the same playing field. Um, I do feel bad for the guard players because their codex is going to be null and void. I feel bad for the world eaters because I believe that codex is null and void. So I do feel bad for them, but you know what? I, I, I'm ex still excited for this new edition. So thank you for writing in, Glenn. I do appreciate it. And I will see you on the next side of this music. Oh, by the way, congratulations on the baby. I mean, I, I assume you had something to do with that. So congratulations on the new baby. Want that or want that not? On this section of the episode, we discuss something new that's coming out for from Games Workshop and uh, sometimes other companies, but generally Games Workshop. And I am super excited about the new terrain set for Lord of the Rings. It's Gondor Settlement, and it is beautiful. It's got two full ruins, meaning two corners each, two stories, two full ruins of buildings, which is really nice, and one intact building that's got like a an elevated porch, and uh, it's all stone, and it looks like you know from the from the uh, the movies. It's very very pretty. It even comes with a tower. So you got a tower, you got a building, you got ruins. I mean, what is not to like? About oh my dear God, it's two hundred and forty five dollars. Two mother. Games Workshop, are you for real right now? You, 240, I just peed a little bit. Actually, I peed in my pants just then more than I would like to admit. I will I will let you think that I just peed a little bit in my pants because I, I, am, I am wet right now. I am soaked and not in any sort of good way. $245, son of a bitch, you guys... This is ridiculous. Two, 200 mother... Mm. Okay. My friend Josh is a big Lord of the Rings fan, and he sent me this, and he just sent me the picture of it. He didn't know the price. And he's like, oh, man, I got to get this, this Gondor settlement, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, man, that looks awesome. I said, you know what? Knowing Games Workshop's prices, I have no doubt this is a $200 set of terrain, something that you could easily get from our buddies at panhandle3d.etsy.com for... Let me think for a second. Uh, their ruins are like thirty bucks, so that's sixty bucks. Straight up building is probably fifty, sixty. Yeah, so you're looking at like probably a hundred. I don't know, probably one hundred and fifty bucks, something like that. And of course, the fifteen percent off with our code, and then of course it'd be over eighty five dollars, so it's free shipping. This was not supposed to be a panhandle three uh, D plug, but I mean, when I talk terrain, dear God. This is just ridiculous. Do you realize? Do you realize? From our other buddies at GameMat.eu, you could get a whole freaking table of terrain for like 150 bucks, already painted. And these MFers have the gall to make you build this shit yourself for 245 Man, I can't even. I can't even. Um, my blood pressure's going up. I mean, not really, but... I told Josh, I'm like, I I bet you this set is every bit of $200. And boy, how naive was I. $245 freaking dollars. It's just, it's just unreasonable. Totally unreasonable. It looks nice. Yes. I mean, I get that. Um, I totally get it. But, and even, I noticed the Lord of the Rings stuff before um, that was reasonably priced is now higher. The Rohan Watchtower and Palisades is $80 now. 
That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. When I bought my Palisades for a Shorehammer, they were like 60 bucks, I think. And the Rohan house now is 50. It was like 35 or 40 bucks or something like that. So they've they've increased all their prices, which is just fantastic. Thank you, Games Workshop. And you understand why they're raising their prices, right? It's the added value of the privilege to buy their product that you're really paying for, right? They have a Middle Earth, uh, a Middle Earth, uh, terrain thing, fifty bucks, and it's like one good ruin, one good ruin you would actually want, and then some piece of shit pieces of rock that would do nothing for anybody. And then half of one more room. Oh my god! I, these these terrain games workshops always been ridiculous with their terrain, but this is this is truly ridiculous. Do you realize that the Lord of the Rings battle for Osgiliath, Osgiliath whatever you call it, uh, is two hundred and ten dollars? Games Workshop, man, it's just it's just too much. Two hundred and forty five dollars. This is a one hundred percent want that not from the Pemcron because I've got my sponsors. I've got a million other places that I could get this infinitely cheaper and in a lot of cases already painted. Oh my God. F U G W $245. I'm, oh, I gotta go change my pants. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Cron. Hey everybody, it's Real Talk with the Pimp Cron, and today we are discussing scale creep. You probably know what scale creep is, but in my humblest of opinions, I believe that it is not only a gimmick to sell more miniatures, but it's also somewhat short-sighted. Now, I think they've got a little ways to go, but we'll we'll get into that. So what is scale creep? You probably know what it is. It's from, if you're gauging from the Rogue Trader era Space Marines or Orcs, right? They're practically Guardsman scale. And then they got an update like in the 2000s, late 90s, something like that. And they are the Space Marines, the firstborn that we know and love, that scale. And then, of course, we got our Primaris and things like that. Now, Warhammer is not the only game to have scale creep. Um, you might be thinking around, you're like, well, Malifaux doesn't. Uh, Age of Sigmar doesn't really have scale creep. We'll see if the new Cities of Sigmar human miniatures are bigger than the old Cities of Sigmar human miniatures. If that's the case, then yes, we have scale creep there. But Age of Sigmar doesn't really have that. Um, what are you thinking about uh, what other skirmish games like um, Dust Tactics or something like that? No, they don't have scale creep. But what does is Hero Clicks, a non-war game. Heroclix has scale creep, and you'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, they have a, they have a difference in the size of their miniatures. They absolutely 100% do. About a year ago or so, Heroclix changed the scale from about 25, 28 millimeter to like 32 millimeter in their miniatures. They are still vaguely compatible with Warhammer, but they're actually getting a bit big. Um, a lot of their regular people are probably Primaris size now. And um, where they used to be like Space Marine size, they were still bigger than Guardsmen and regular humans, but they were just a, uh, they were a smaller scale than they are now. Now, I know why Heroclix has done this, and Heroclix is more of a condensed example of what Warhammer is also encountering here. So if you look at Warhammer and Heroclix, Heroclix sells the same characters time and time and time again. 
you will have a Spider-Man in practically every single set that comes out, minus maybe like an X-Men set for Heroclux. Um, obviously, pretty much every single set will have a Captain America, unless it's an X-Men set. You know, m most of the main characters, Iron Man, will be in pretty much every set. Um, they've Over the years, the 20 years Heroclix has been going on, um, it's been longer than that, but um, the current company, NECA, they've owned WizKids for like 20 years or something like that. But just recently, they updated the scale for Heroclix. And you're thinking, why? Why would you do this? Because the miniatures are really just a representation in Heroclix, even more than they are in a normal war game, right? Um, because Heroclix, Heroclix uses a mat, uh, a gridded mat. And um, you don't measure with a tape measure. There's no true line of sight, anything like that. Everything is top down. You have to look and see what color coded the squares are, whether it's hindering or blocking terrain or whatever. Um, a solid black line means you can't see through it or move through it. You know, green provides cover, et cetera, et cetera. So um, Heraclix, you think the size of the miniatures would not matter at all. So why would you do scale creep? Well, you do scale creep because you've sold. 75,000 Spider-Mans, and now you're thinking of literally any reason to sell new ones. Like, besides the new cards that come out and the new abilities and all that, you really want people to stop playing with their old Spider-Man or Captain America or whoever. So the best way to do that, and this is just an aesthetic thing, but it really, really works, is that you want to make a new set and go, oh, we're changing the style of it, and you make it bigger. So now it looks kind of silly. If you're playing with the old miniatures and your Spider-Man is the size of, let's say, a teenager now, right? Instead of an adult man. And he's fighting next to, let's say, Jean Grey. And Jean Grey, according to Spider-Man's scale, the old scale, you know, she's like seven feet tall now. It looks weird. And even though they're just representations on a top-down gridded mat, it's still just aesthetically not pleasing and most people are going to agree that having a giant tall woman who's supposed to be average height next to a super short dude that's supposed to be average height just doesn't gel well so then everybody has to buy the new models so that everybody can have these new bigger you're gonna have to rebuild your x-men rebuild your avengers your fantastic four your justice league all of that because the old ones just look goofy now you really can't mix those and obviously, all the new sets coming out are going to be this larger scale. So, the reason why is to increase sales and get you to stop playing with the old things because the old things are no longer making the money. Does that sound familiar to any of you Warhammer players? It's familiar because look what they did with Space Marines and look what they did with Orcs. So, the Orcs and Space Marines have both been updated. They're larger. You see it with the Termagants now. The Termagants are going to start being larger for 10th edition. And they're an overall scale creep. It's funny because it was always a running gag with Warhammer anyway that all the tr firstborn Space Marines truly could not fit in a Rhino anyway. Like 10 of them, there's no way 10 of them could fit in a Rhino. And now that you've got Primaris, it's funny because their vehicles are not much bigger than the scale of the ori original ones. So now you're still looking at the Primaris transports, and you're like, well, these Primaris guys still can't fit in these vehicles. <laughs> like, they really, if they were really truly doing this for any reason other than to sell new miniatures, then they would have made new transports for the Space Marines, but kept the Firstborn and didn't make Primaris. Sure, they might make new Primaris, like um, the Aggressors might be a Centurion-style 
unit or something like that, where they're in a bigger suit of armor, okay. But they wouldn't have actually changed the scale. So it's really not the case of, oh, it just looks better, quote-unquote, because then they're not making anything more realistic. And in one way, this is really genius, because they're not forcing anybody to play Firstborn. They're not forcing anybody to play with the new Heroclix. Not necessarily. But in a passive way, they know most people don't want to play with small, dinky miniatures when there's bigger, more powerful-looking versions. I don't know why that is the case, but even I find myself liking Primaris, the look of them, better than the old guys. The old guys look like children now, or teenagers. The uh, tr the firstborn. I keep wanting to call them trueborn. The firstborn marines. So, it's kind of genius in a way, because they didn't write out firstborn yet, although I feel like they're slowly transitioning, you know, now that the Primaris have jump people. Well, actually, they don't have jump people, but they do have bikers, and they do have assault marines, and they do have these new Primaris Terminators coming out, and they've got all these new things coming out, it's only a matter of time, in my opinion, that they're going to get rid of Firstborn. And then, you know, everyone's going to be in a in an uproar or whatever over it. But honestly, I think we've seen it coming this whole time, right? Ever since Primaris came out, what, four years ago, something like that. Um, it, it is definitely on its way. I think they're going to phase them out. And the reason why is because just like Heroclix, they've sold so many Space Marines over the years. They have to make new Space Marines. They have to... Um, they have to make something that will even get the old Space Marine players. You know, Johnny at your club that's been using the same Space Marine since Rogue Trader or at least the 2000s, he's had no reason to buy new Space Marines. He might already have his Legion filled out with 400 Space Marines or whatever, and there's no actual reason for him to buy new ones. But if you make up some ones that are a little bigger and now the other ones look dinky, well, everyone's gonna want the big ones. It's just... It's just human nature. And like I said, it's it's ingenious in a way because they're not making you buy the new ones, but they're encouraging you just purely through um, aesthetics that you're going to want to buy the new stuff. And then couple that with the widespread speculation that the Firstborn are going to be phased out and then people are going to go even heavier into the primary stuff. Now, the interesting fact about this is that there is a limited range that you can do with this it really is kind of short-sighted because your terrain is only so big so you can't you can't make like like what they're doing right now the space marines were shorter than terminators so then they made primaris space marines to be bigger and they are arguably the same height or taller than the terminators which looks weird so now they're coming out with new terminators and sooner or later, they're probably going to come out with, oh, wait, they already did new dreadnoughts that are even bigger. They're making the scale larger and larger. But eventually, you're going to be out of the realm of um, optics for terrain because terrain is usually 28 millimeters, something like that. And while you do have some room to grow and you can make your miniatures bigger and bigger like they did with the orcs and the termagant and all that, eventually... There is only so tall, what, eventually a Space Marine is just going to be an action figure? It's going to be a six-inch action figure 50 years down the line because they've done a reset of the line several times? No. It is definitely short-sighted, and it's only like a one- or two-time thing you can do it. Heroclix is even worse about that because Heroclix really is a cash grab because their spaces on their dial is only so big for the model. And with this new scale, they actually had to... 
every new model for Heroclix, you can tell, because they're on this little platform thing. So if uh, if you guys know what a trapezoid is, right? It's like a rectangle, but I'm, I'm going to give you a math, uh, math refresher here. So a trapezoid is like a rectangle, but if you picture the top line of the rectangle shorter than the bottom where the sides come in, I know there's many types of trapezoids. Get off my back about it. But the, the generic trapezoid, right? Um, that is basically flipped upside down, and that's the little platform they have to put the Heroclix on now because the Heroclix models would are really too big for the base because Heroclix have printed words and stats and their points and their faction and all that around the edges. So now that they've increased the size of the models, now it it's like it's going to be taking up too much space on the base. So now they've had to make this little like quarter inch platform that all their models are on in order to make it so you can diagonally look at the words underneath the platform because the platform is, gosh, 80 uh, percent of the base now of the click space. So if that makes any sense to you. Um, Heroclix really cannot do another redesign unless they completely change the size of their bases in the next 10 years to make them even larger. Um, but Warhammer has a little more wiggle room for that. But I do definitely see that as a, uh, as a cash grab more than anything. Of course, as I always say, they're a corporation, they have shareholders they got to pay and all of that. So I, I get why they're doing it. But I don't think that most people have actually sat down and thought that scale creep is really just a cash grab and it's short-sighted. And why would they do this? I really don't think people have thought this through. Now, of course, there are some things, you know, like Beasts of Nur Nurgle are bigger now than they used to be. That's cool compared to like Rogue Trader. Um, that's cool. Obviously, um, like your uh, Bloodthirsters used to be smaller than a current Demon Prince. And the larger Demon Princes now are larger than the old Demon Princes. So, obviously, there is some, you know, like a Bloodthirster obviously should be a gigantic model. That does make sense. A Demon Prince should be a pretty decently sized model. That all makes sense. But, uh, it's just funny. It is just funny. So, um, if you want to contact me, email me, pimpcron at gmail.com. Um, anything like that, and give me your thoughts on it. But um, I wonder, did any of you actually think why they increased the scale? And I truly think this is the reason behind it. All right, thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting the show, and Panhandle.etsy.com. I'm sorry, Panhandle3D.etsy.com. And my beautiful, sexy, juicy, dripping, like unreasonably moist. I don't know why they're so slimy, but my Patreon patrons are great people. And you should shake their hands, uh, but you probably want to wash your hand after you shake their hands because they are very, just, just very moist. Anyway, see you next week.